Beethoven Confidential. Chapter 1. The Skull. Vienna, 28 March, 1827. Beethoven, draped in a sheet, lies dead on a piano. He is surrounded by the shambles in which he has perpetually lived. Frugal furniture, shabby curtains, a rickety four-poster, crates of wine, boxes of manuscript paper, and piles of clothing. The place suggests a junk shop rather than a respectable apartment in the tenement where the composer spent his last remaining days. Dr. Warwick, an elderly and a highly respected physician, is preparing for the autopsy. He will shortly be making an incision above Beethoven's left ear, but first the head must be shaved, and he sharpens his razor. Nearby, Danhauser, a round-shouldered little man, and his skeletal assistant, Tanf, are stirring a mixture from which the death mask will be made. Danhauser regards Dr. Warwick in mistrust. Don't mess him up too much, or they'll never recognize him, he urges. I've seen your autopsies before. I am about to probe the secret of his genius for the benefit of humanity, proclaimed Dr. Warwick. You are about to create a superficial effigy for the morbid to gape at in some tawdry waxworks for the benefit of your own pocket. Pray desist. While Dan Hauser scowls and stirs his plaster more violently, a dapper little man whom it transpires as an auctioneer politely takes the razor out of the doctor's hands, examines the blade, and turns to his bespectacled assistant, who is cataloging the effect. Item. One razor, finest rural steel, Property, Ludwig van Beethoven, actually used to shave the deceased. He returns it to the doctor. Not absolutely essential. You clean it after use. Thank you, doctor. His assistant hands the auctioneer a dog-eared notebook. There are twenty-six of these, sir, full of scribbles. Shall I dispose of them in one lot? Good heavens, no, exclaims the auctioneer. Conversation books, valuable items, proof he was deaf. He moves on pecking through the jumble like a magpie, while two shadowy figures creep around the room, hissing and whispering conspiratorially. They appear to be searching for something, through bookshelves, under carpets, beneath cushions, behind pictures, in desks and drawers, and through piles of manuscripts. They ransack everything neatly, but methodically. They are not thieves, but friends of Beethoven's, though not of each other, which soon becomes evident, as does the object of their search. Anton Schindler, middle-aged, tall, spectral, and opinionated, regards himself as Beethoven's official biographer, and is jealous of Karl Holtz, not only for the fact that he is good-looking and twenty years younger, but also for the more intimate relationship he enjoyed with the composer. Perhaps he deposited them in the bank. That would be the logical thing to do, whispered Schindler. Then that's the last place we should look, mutters Holt. Have you looked in his shoes? Of course not, snapped Schindler. He was forever stuffing them with anything that came to hand to try and keep out the wet, explains Holtz. I'll never forget the nights he was to conduct the premiere of the Seventh Symphony. Couldn't find the finale anywhere. We turned the place upside down, nowhere, until the maidservant found it tucked in his shoe. Schindler is envious that he did not witness the scene himself. Ah, but do you know which shoe? Left foot, right foot, what does it signify? Everything about Beethoven is significant, retorts Schindler. Even his whore? asks Holt sarcastically. Will you touch on their significance in your official biography, Herr Schindler? What possible relevance could they have to his art? I suppose it depends on the pedigree. 
Schindler can sense trouble brewing and continues to search next door in the bedroom, followed by Holtz, who enjoys ribbing him. Will you mention Countess Sardotti, for instance? Of, of course, says Schindler loftily. And Elsa Schmidt? Will you mention her? That trollop? Certainly not. How could you even ask, replies Schindler in disgust. They were both very close to Beethoven, says Schultz with a shrug. One lived in a palace, the other in a brothel, that's all. Eureka! shouts Schindler triumphantly, as a loose nail he has been fiddling with on the writing desk comes away in his hand, releasing a secret drawer that drops to the floor, scattering its contents at the feet of the two startled rivals. As Schindler makes a dive for the prize, a pile of valuable bank shares, Holtz kneels at his side and picks up the assortment of papers covered in scribbled pencil. Schindler makes a grab for them, but Holtz swiftly whisks them out of his reach. "'What do you have there?' hisses Schindler. "'Those papers may be of a private nature.' "'Then who better than an old friend to peruse them first? says Holtz, backing away. "'They may be unfit for publication. Let me be the judge of that. "'I'd rather turn them over to the auctioneer.' Holtz calls over his shoulder through to the next room. "'Is the auctioneer there?' Danhauser looks up from his bucket of plaster and replies, "'Gone to lunch!' "'No, please, no,' begs Schindler, following Holtz into the room. "'For God's sake, calm down, man,' urges Holtz. "'It would be foolish in the extreme for us to cross swords over what might transpire to be nothing but a shopping list.' "'Even so,' he crouches against the wall to prevent the envious Schindler from looking over his shoulder, his eyes racing over the papers.' A scrap of trivia in a secret drawer. What nonsense, scoffs Schindler. Trivia, eh? Everything is significant. Except sex, yes, says Holtz, moving rapidly away from Schindler, who quickly follows him. Listen to this. My angel. My all, my very self. Why this deep sorrow when necessity speaks? Can our love endure except through sacrifices, through not demanding everything from one another? Can you change the fact that you are not wholly mine, I not wholly yours? We shall surely see each other again soon. My heart is full of so many things to say to you. Ah, uh -huh, there are moments when I feel that the speech amounts to nothing at all. Cheer up. Remain my true, my only treasure, my all, as I am yours. Your faithful Ludwig. What do you make of that? As Holtz comes to a halt and turns on him, the gangling Schindler snatches the letter away and scrutinizes it for clues. No address, no name, just Monday, 6 July. Damn it! Not even a year. This man's impossible. Now we shall never know her identity. I wonder why he never sent it. Of course he sent it, argues Holtz. This may be a rough copy or a first draft. It's extraordinary, Schindler. In all the years of our acquaintance, I never knew him to express himself as strongly as this about anything, certainly not a woman. And he knew quite a few in his time. But Schindler has just caught sight of the doctor shaving Beethoven's skull and is momentarily at a loss for words allowing Holtz to continue. Here's more. My thoughts go to you, my immortal beloved. 
now joyfully, then sadly waiting to learn whether or not fate will hear us. I can live only wholly with you, or not at all. Well, he did live without her, didn't he? Schindler remarks. Did he? asks Holt, looking quizzically at the dead man. It's a mystery. And why the secret drawer? A guilty liaison with a married woman, perhaps. But even before Schindler had his time to refute such a claim, Holtz catches sight of an exquisite miniature, which must have tumbled from the drawer as it hit the floor, and snatches it up. Then, fearful of the prying eyes of the auctioneer, he retreats to the bedroom to study the trophy in private, with the irate Schindler hot at his heels. All right, that's enough, blurts Schindler after Holtz has been studying the miniature for an age. Give it here. As he relinquishes it, Holtz poses the question, I wonder if this is the immortal beloved. Schindler scrutinizes the portrait of a striking young woman wearing a turban, but displays no sign of recognition. Poor craftsmanship, the work of an amateur, he says dismissively, could be anyone. It's very similar to a portrait I once saw of Therese von Brunswick. Unable to make a similar claim, Schindler is piqued. If that should be the case, you can rule her out immediately. Why, pray? Schindler gives a superior smile. She became a nun. I'd say the candidate for your immortal beloved was her cousin, Countess Giulietta Giacardi. On whose authority? Not the Countess herself, surely. No, I have met her, admits Schindler. But I heard from the mouth of Beethoven himself that at one time he was madly in love with her, and there was a cause for secrecy, the obstacle being her father. Now may I kindly see the remaining documents. We've wasted enough time in idle speculation as it is, grateful to his reluctant colleague for providing a clue to the mystery that is beginning to intrigue him. Holtz relinquishes some of the papers with a smile. Certainly, old man. You may be right. It could be Giulietta. After all, she did inspire the most romantic music he ever wrote. This is interesting, enthuses Schindler, ignoring him and reading away. Listen to this. But Holtz has already turned away from him and is drifting back into the music room, totally absorbed with the yellowing pages, which he handles with the utmost care. He could almost imagine Beethoven himself speaking to the words dashed off with passion so many years ago. Yes, I am resolved to wander so long away from you until I can fly to your arms and say that I am truly at home with you and can send my soul enwrapped in your Lord of Spirits. No one else can ever possess thy heart. Never, never, O oh God, why must one be parted from one whom one so loves? And yet my life in Vienna is now a wretched life. And there, almost within reach, the author of those ardent feelings lies cold and lifeless as Dr. Warwoch drills a hole in his bare skull with clinical precision, halts his eyes, brim with tears as he reads on. Your love makes me at once the happiest and unhappiest of men. At my age, I need a steady, quiet life. Can that be so? In our connection, be calm, 
Only by calm consideration of our existence can we achieve our purposes to live together. Be calm. Love me. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, what tearful longings I have for you. My life, my all, farewell. Oh, continue to love me. Never misjudge the most faithful heart of your beloved. Ever mine, ever yours, Ludwig. From nowhere, a hand appears and snatches the letter from him. Now it is Schindler's turn to make a cold and factual appraisal. Holtz makes no effort to retrieve them. A macabre sound has distracted him. Fascinated, he turns to see the doctor sawing away methodically at Beethoven's skull. Soon he would be examining the master's brain. Oh, that he could reveal the sight and soul of Juelletta, irretrievably locked in those gray, congealing cells.